Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Puck Talk Live. Yes, my name is Logan Rosengard. With me on the call, as always, Rafi Serafian and Noah Foster. It's Thursday night. How are you guys doing? I'm doing well. Uh, I'm very excited for this upcoming season. We'll get into it later in the show, but it is looking more and more likely that this that the season is starting mid January. So having it's the anticipation of a return to play part two, Electric Boogaloo, um, where we're all anxiously on the edge of our seat waiting for news to come out about when the NHL is starting back up again. So it's always here to it's always good to hear even just a rumor of news. Ravi, how are you tonight? You know, it's a great night for this podcast. We've hit 50 now, and that's kind of nuts to think about that we've This is episode 50, it. holy cow. Oh, you're right. I didn't even it's realize a, It's that. insane. It's insane that we literally were talking about this like the last few days and weeks. But it's been a, it's been a ride, and I feel like every show we get better and better. And I'm very like, this has been a fun time so far, and I can't wait for the next 50 and the hopefully the 50 after that. Speaking of it being the 50th episode, I'll mention it now and I'll mention it once more at the end of the show. After this episode airs tomorrow, today by the time you're listening to it, we're going to be taking a bit of a hiatus probably through the uh, World Junior Championships or up around Christmas time. But uh, we're going to reevaluate. Just the show's going to be a lot better when we come back. We've also been doing this almost every week since uh, the start of the pandemic in March, and I want a little bit of a break. I think Rafi and Noah probably do too, as much as we love talking about hockey and we're not going to stop talking about hockey. In in terms of the show and the work that we kind of put into it, everything around that, we're going to take a little bit of a break. And yeah, but you guys will definitely uh, see an improved Puck Talk Live, an improved PTL format uh, when we come back after this break. However, we're here now. We're living it. We're loving it. We're learning it. Noah, why don't you run us down how the slate is going to go today before we get into it? Sure. So we've just got a couple news updates. We've got our first signing in what feels like years um, at this point. Uh, we're going to have, like I mentioned before, return, return to play part two. And then we're going to discuss a little bit about NHL team values and what next season means for some teams that are on the end, on the bottom end of that and on the top end. Uh, but first, a couple of pieces of news. Flyers sign Felipe Myers to a three-year $2.55 million average annual value extension. Uh, this is a pretty solid deal. Uh, for the Flyers. It's also, like I mentioned before, our first one in months. Yeah, this um, is going to be a big domino in the sense that we're going to start, and you guys have seen this as well, where there's lots of rumors now, trade rumors arising and signing rumors, which is awesome. So this is definitely like the first domino tipping over. It's a small domino, but I'm sure we're going to see some more bigger splashes in the next few weeks finally because that date's been finally been announced which i don't know if we said yet but no you can say it yeah for some reason on the list yeah for some reason nhl gms are pretty shy when it comes to making the first move no one really wants to do it i don't know why but that's okay moving on i wouldn't want to i wouldn't want to break the ice i I would love to break the ice are you kidding me because what if but like we have a guy that we know is worth a pick and it's like a depth guy 
but we want the pick to shave cap and you guys get a depth guy. That's going to be, like, the worst way to break the ice. I don't care <laughs> if, like, I don't know, uh, some third-line guy in uh, – Brendan Perlini gets another movement to his contract for, like, a fourth-round pick. That's a ter- That's like a dropping a pebble on a glacier. That's not going to get the ice going. Yeah, but it's still nice to, still you know, exciting. you have to start like, somewhere. You're right. It's good to hear once the season, you know, the rumblings of January, the rumblings of the amount of games and the divisions started becoming more and more credible, more and more rumors and uh, signings, as we'll get into right now, started happening. But Noah, what did the Flyers do? Yeah, they signed a Felipe Myers to a three-year, two point five five million dollar extension. It's like you were shocked. Like I was setting you up. I was like frosting well, the I'm, cake for I'm that a... segue, and I sent it to you. It was a dime downfield, no coverage, and you yeah, just—it was, was just the fact that you just ran it back though with that. Yeah. So he, he had it, and then yeah. you were like rewind mode, and then <laughs> yeah, you just did it again. But I, I do want to. But because That's okay. did, but because you put that on a platter and talked about the Flyers, also throw in a little thing on my end. And I'm not sure if our listeners caught this, but this was amazing to see where ESPN did their two-second hockey oh, yeah. announcement of the week. Or of the I think week? Of the month, there of you the go. month, probably. And talked like what the divisions are. And all of a sudden, I see a notification on Twitter from the Flyers. Twitter. They forget, ESPN forgot the Flyers. They really forgot the field of all the teams that you had that you could have forgotten. You forgot the Flyers, really? ESPN. You forget the Ducks. You forget the like Ducks. It, no one cares. In a, in a sports market, in a sports market where currently they have one of the worst eleven and one teams to ever grace football, and uh, Joel Embiid, um, <laughs> they're kind of a forgettable team, especially for ESPN, where it's ESPN hockey, ESPN. Hockey. They don't mix. ESPN. There's no there's no parallel. So it's just amazing yeah. when they try to bring up hockey for their two seconds per month yeah, and they great. just can't even get that right. But moving yeah. on, Tampa it's Bay okay. hires Rob Zettler as their assistant coach. That's kinda it there. And Good signing. And a little bit of keep keeping competitive. And, yeah, and speaking of front office and all that kind of stuff, Sam Bowman is on the hot seat, guys, so uh, I'm pretty now, thrown th- off by this. this. I'm sure you guys an are. official statement. This isn't from an insider, at least from what I know of the guy. On uh, TSN 1200 radio in Canada, I forget who it was. He's a former NHLer. He was a goalie. They were talking. I-, I didn't hear the cliff. I just saw a little bit of a quote where the guy was talking about how Stan Bowman is expected to be on the hot seat. I don't know how true it is. I mean, I would like to think it's true, considering how the perception of Stan Bowman and some of his picks have... It's been a lot of 50-50. I, I don't know. I, I mentioned this off-podcast to Noah, at least. I don't know how, how I really would feel. I would love to see Bowman go out. I don't know if I want him out right now. Like, I I, I kind of want him weathering the storm of this uh, rebuild, retool, whatever you want to call it. And then handing it off to someone that can run with what they've done, run with the borderline wildcard team that he brought back and hand it off to the next guy 
and have him make it a cup contending team for the next some odd years and bring them success again. Like, yeah, without I, a doubt, I, I don't want to change face in the middle of this. Well, you know? yeah, it's also just the fact too that Bowman kind of came out and explained like what was going to happen. Like the team came out and said this is what's going to happen. It wouldn't make much sense to all of a sudden abandon the guy who was kind of leading the charge in that. It, it, like you're not if you're going to war, and all of a sudden you fire the your head of army and stuff like that makes no sense right before a war why would you do that because then you have to change everything so maybe not anytime this season but i'd say next season i definitely yeah i definitely start i don't want to see change of hands too quickly like i I trust if you wanted if they wanted to do it yeah and the big thing is though if they wanted to do that they should have done it a few months ago not after they, they should have done it after the playoffs, it. and uh, they should have done it after exiting the playoff bubble in Edmonton. Like, yep. if they really wanted to. Mm-hmm. But we digress. We got some big news, as we mentioned. The NHL finally announced their return to play plans. Or it, it's not like it, it's not like the official announcement, but it's pretty dang official to the point where they're just finalizing the. Uh, Memorandum of Understanding for this It's where Elliot, Elliot Friedman's talking about it. So yes. when Elliot Friedman starts speaking, it's likely, it's almost certainly true. January 13th, 2021 start date. 56-game season. Realign divisions to limit travel and also potential exposure to the COVID-19 virus. I'm excited. A, because I finally have a set date for when hockey's going to be back and I don't have to sit waiting for some ounce of news for me to be excited about. And B, the Blackhawks and the Red Wings are back in the same division, at least for this season, which, as a Blackhawks fan, it's always fun to wail and beat on the Red Wings. I'm excited yeah. for that. The problem is, is that, goal. you know, this year, it's kind of, you know, in like, you know, 2015, 16, 17, when both teams were at their peak, it was really fun to watch. They were the top of their division. And now it's just kind of a battle of the bottom. It's a rivalry for sure, and rivalry so is fun. always fun. But it kind of hurts to see both teams with losing records. Well, even if one of them is bad, necessarily, like I just feel like every like a lot of rivalry games, hockey kind of in some sense, except for really the playoffs. Like it's always fun watching two rivals play. I mean, it's not going to be like an Ohio State Michigan college football game all the time. So it'll be it'll be fun for sure. And, rivalry games are rivalry games. It's and always fun. obviously. We've there's some divisions with this new division realignment to limit travels. Logan, I believe, mentioned there's some divisions that look extremely stacked and some oh, that really don't. I want to talk about give me a second to pull it up so I can actually remember which division it is. But I would like to talk about first, I want to talk about the West, the like quote unquote Western division with the Golden Knights, Avalanche, Stars, Blues, basically half of the. Um, half of the Central plus half of the Pacific division. It's really top-heavy, that division. You've got the Knights, uh, Avs, Stars, and Blues, and then everyone else. You know, the three California teams plus Arizona. That division seems, you know, pretty... Um, you know, you There's could have a West gap. contender there, but you've got the teams at the, the very bottom. Team I want to talk about, nice stall to get me into this um, this this position is I want to talk about, quote-unquote, the East, uh, the Eastern Division with the Capitals, Islanders, Bruins, Flyers, uh, Penguins, Rangers, Sabres, and Devils. 
wow, I feel so bad for the Devils. <laughs> I feel so, so bad for the Devils. We they got feel bad, if, absolutely screwed. If you want to feel bad for a team, you can feel bad about yeah. the Bruins, who aren't going to have Marshan and Pasternak until, I believe, mid-February at the earliest. So in a 56-game season, if you're playing, let's say, your first like 10 games without them, and if you start three and seven or like two and eight, start off really bad. Like just is just in general for most teams, but also just because Boston's in, honestly the toughest division, you can't get off to a slow start in that division because you're just going to. That's gonna... true. So and Rafi, maybe a 56 game season benefits Buffalo because we all know. Let me ask up. you this then. <laughs> of course. As our resident Boston fan of the trio, while Pasternak and while Marchand, who are, I think it's a pretty fair statement to say they're the top scorers on the team, who do you think, obviously Bergeron, but he is not a 50-goal scorer. He is not a, you know, Marshawn where he can put up 100 points necessarily. He can, Mm -hmm. but not as consistently as Marshawn can, at least in my opinion. Who do you think picks up the slack besides Bergeron? So I really like their bottom six of, you obviously have Sean Corrali, Chris Wagner, and you have a few other guys in that bottom six that I think can really step up and have shown the step up in the playoffs especially. I think the addition of Craig Smith's really going to help them. I think that he had an off year last year, and he has potential to be putting up 40, 50 points, and I think he can do that alongside Bergeron. Obviously, David Krejci, as I've talked about so often, is probably a, I would put him as a top 10, without a doubt, second-line center in the league. I think he's an amazing player to have, and he's going to play really well this season. I feel like people are going to recognize him even more. And then obviously you have Jake DeBrusque and Charlie Coyle who are going to keep improving. And just to wrap it up, their defense is still solid, even without losing Tory Krug. So I think their defense and Tory Krug and Tuka Rask will be able to help them win games as well. So it's just it's a very tough division, though, with 56 games to be really successful throughout it when you're down to your, arguably your two best players. Yeah. I want to talk about real quick before we get into team values i want to focus on two teams in that division i want to talk about the rangers and the penguins we've talked about those teams with opposite connotations the rangers are on the up and up and the penguins look to be in their last season or two of this greatness before they have to go completely into a rebuild retool whatever you want to call it so i think this division is actually like the perfect grounds to see this type of um see this type of theory play out right because the Rangers are now, they were in the toughest division in the Metro, but now they're, I would probably argue, in an even tougher division now. Um, with you throwing the Islanders, you throw in the Bruins from there, the Sabres look pretty good. Um, Devils can be not bad. So it's really going to test, you know, was last season just a fluke for the Rangers? Was the, the playoffs. Thing with these divisions, and I, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that a lot of teams weren't able to offload assets in the same capacity that they would be in a normal season. I think we've touched on it in the show a couple of times. No team really got bad. No team really down. Some teams didn't get better or worse, but no team looks a lot worse than they did from the end of last season. For example, the Ottawa Senators, or rather the LA Kings. The LA Kings were far and above one of the worst teams in the league. They ended up getting the second overall pick, and they got Quentin Byfield from it. Good. Good. Their players developed, too, also, that they had in the system as well. This season, yes. And because of that, this season, they are playoff contenders. 
They have the potential. In a normal season, they probably would have been in competition for that seven or eight spot, those wild card playoff spots in the West. You look on the opposite side of the spectrum, and you know the, the, there's a there are teams that who who's like a team that really didn't move guys or hasn't gotten better or worse. Vancouver, I would argue. you could make that argument. You could make that argument with Arizona. You could make that argument with Blackhawks. You say Chicago. Chicago, especially Nashville, I think. Yeah. Nashville's a perfect example because they didn't really bring anyone in. They didn't really lose anyone of sub- of substance that they're going to be much worse or much better. And they, they are the same. Yeah. And they also just didn't have the team that they yeah. were last season, that they were last playoffs. They have no prospects coming up to or any. Like the big difference between a team like them and LA is yep. although LA might finish a bit worse than them, their players. They have a lot of young guys that are going to be getting time this season, and they're going to be more developed, and even last season too. So even though they haven't made too many flashy moves per se, they've definitely gotten better in the sense that they're really young guys. Their prospects are now more well-molded to play in the NHL now. And I think in complement to that fact that there are team, no team really got worse, a lot of the division realignment for this season is going to help a lot of teams maybe reach the playoffs, maybe reach a point in the season that they haven't reached in a long time. The New York Rangers, they were fighting come the end of the season. I think being in the division that they're in with the rest of the Eastern Conference, it's going to be tough. It's going to be really tough. But I think they're in a better position than if they were in the Metropolitan Division where all those teams are really good Minus say New Jersey, and it's a little and Pittsburgh, I would and, argue, and but Pittsburgh, yeah, but Pittsburgh is still, I can argue, a very competitive team. Competitive yeah. team where New Jersey isn't as competitive as them. New York would have had a hard time probably holding on to that spot in the Eastern Conference playoff race. Where this time, they don't have to worry about powerhouse teams from Canada. They don't have to worry about playing teams like Tampa Bay or anyone else that would have hindered their, you know, uh, ability to be relevant in the race because they're playing in this division where they aren't outmatched by every team or have to, you know, push for an inch of room with every team in the division. They're better off, I think. I do want to touch on one last point. I think I said that earlier, but like what last, last point before we get to the team values, because that might take a little bit of time. It'll be interesting to see whose records are inflated and deflated a little bit from this. You know, teams like Golden Knights and the Avalanche who have the and California it's a teams to play season. against. They yeah. remind everyone it's fifty-six games. This is just over the amount of games that we played in the lockout season for 2012-2013. So it'll be interesting to see whose records are quote unquote inflated because they have a lot of teams that are a lot worse than them in their division and teams like the Rangers who might be deflated playing teams that are a lot better than them. Well, I also but, think just in closing, the fact that knock on wood, the way we are trending in the U.S. at least, where the vaccine is likely going to come out soon, luck, knock on wood, and there's like they're going to be their progression. Hopefully by April or by the last like at least 20 games, we can see at least in the USA, we can see like the Blackhawks go over to the West Coast to play a few games or we can see X team go to X division play a few games. Like we can start to see that later on, but at, yeah, at the moment, it'll the before until and if that happens, 
we'll be seeing a lot of what Noah was saying with we'll see some teams be a bit more inflated with their points and some teams with a bit more deflated because of it. Yeah. Let's move on to our last topic for the day. Just talking about um, some NHL team values and, you know, increasing, decreasing kind of based on these past season. I kind of want to start um, at the top five and then go to the bottom five. Uh, Cause I think top five is, Kind of self-explanatory and a little bit interesting, but still a good idea to take a look at. So this is according to Forbes.com. Um, they have the New York Rangers at number one, Toronto Maple Leafs at number two, Canadians at number three, Blackhawks at number four, and the Boston Bruins at number five. All of those uh, top five are valued at $1 billion with a B or more, um, with the top Rangers being valued at $1.65 billion, the bottom quote-unquote bottom of the top five Boston Bruins being valued at exactly one billion dollars uh these are these are the teams that are not you know could be struggling at all financially playing big markets New York Toronto Montreal Chicago and Boston these are the guys that you know you look to for how to run a successful um how to run a successful business in big hockey markets and these are the guys that you know the while the pause had affected them, right? They lost millions of dollars, sales, ticket sales, whatever, and they will this upcoming season. They are going to be just fine and will be able to keep their they will be able to keep their head above water. Without a doubt, they'll be able to do that. It's yeah, these are even if they had a even if there was fans and they were having a bad year, like the Blackhawks, even if they had fans, the Blackhawks would still finish top five in attendance, regardless if there was in a regular circumstance without a doubt and you can say the same for basically the top 10 in general but i think an interesting thing to note is that these values these aren't equal to what the teams made revenue wise these aren't equal to where the teams you know made money because the buffalo savers value might be 385 million with an m and they might have lost 4% from the season before however this isn't an updated, this isn't from the last season, but in the 2018-19 season, they made $135 million in revenue total. So that's just one thing to keep in mind. And if you look at the list, it's very unshocking to see some of these spots and some of these, quote-unquote, you know, the rankings of value. The hockey markets, big sports cities, Chicago. Like, like look, at the, look at the top five. You have five of the most competitive sports markets in the country new york in the uh not country in the why am i forgetting this word in the continent wow there you go (laughs) uh new york rangers in new york toronto montreal chicago and boston in each of their respective countries they are the most competitive tv markets you look lower on the list and there are teams like you see the florida panthers you see the arizona coyotes you see the tampa bay Lightning, you see Ottawa, they might be big population centers, but in terms of a hockey market, they aren't necessarily the most profitable. And mm-hmm. it's also interesting to note teams that are successful aren't always the most valuable. Like the Tampa Bay Lightning, definitely, if I own them, I'm, and if I were selling them after a cup win, I'm going to charge them a little bit up from what my value is probably estimated at. Look at where our success is, look at where our team has been, look at where our team is going. It's only going up. I'm not underselling, but team success, the Winnipeg Jets, 
the Carolina Hurricanes in the last two seasons, the Colorado Avalanche, you know, teams that we consider to be cup contenders, you know, big deal, big market, big players in the league right now don't have a lot of value to them, which, you know, it's it's interesting too. It's a weird comparison if you ask me. Yeah. And going off on that, kind of on the flip side, is the fact that we have a team like the Pittsburgh Penguins, who are now 11th, and we all remember, and you could say the Blackhawks kind of, but the Blackhawks are, we're a big enough city. It was a while ago when the Blackhawks were a bottom feeder team, both in the actual standings and in money being brought in. Yeah, but they were also a big enough city, though, where it was, obviously it wasn't, you weren't going to, there was no chance that the Blackhawks were gonna like relocate or anything, but like a team like Pittsburgh, who is literally on the verge of being going bankrupt or, or relocating. So and I've team. mentioned this numerous times. There were points in the Pittsburgh Penguins, you know, recent run that in order to make a profit in their revenue, they needed to make the second round of the playoffs. They needed to go exactly. deep. Exactly. and it just it just shows though how if you like. How team success, though, over the course of, let's say, like, I'd say 10 years has really benefited the Pittsburgh Penguins. Because as I mentioned, as you're talking about now, the fact that there was certain places that the Penguins had to finish in order to even make a profit just attested to this whole situation. And I feel like with the fact that they won three Stanley Cups in the last over decade, it's really benefited their value and revenue. It, it's an interest. It's it's just interesting to me to look at where teams are valued at in terms of if I were to if I were to want to buy an NHL team, what would I need to fork over? Well, who would I need to talk to? How much money would I need to raise? So on and so on. And all these, you know, different aspects of money in the NHL, and then comparing them to where the actual teams are in terms of their success, the actual teams are in terms of their development, so on and so on. It's just an interesting conversation to have. And something really cool to look at, which we've done today. I want to talk about one team before we kind of wrap up the show, which is the team that is, quote-unquote, not in a hockey market, and it's a terrible idea to put them there, and there never should have been an NHL team created there. Uh, Vegas Golden Knights currently sit at 13th on this list, uh, which is better than half the league, and they're not in a hockey market, by the way. Uh, Vegas is totally not a hockey market that will have... Uh, it's a very poor decision to make it there. So I think, honestly, in hindsight, in like when Vegas was first announced, I I'll admit I'm like, okay, there's, you know, there's people there, there's activities there. I don't know how well a hockey team's gonna do there, because um, there aren't many sports teams around that area except for the California ones. But I was completely wrong, and Vegas is doing extremely well as a franchise. I think only it was their very, third year in the league. It was very beneficial the fact that there wasn't a team like the Raiders yet. I feel like if the Raiders had moved in. If there was a team that preceded the existence of an NHL franchise in Vegas or like a bona fide professional sports team from the big from the major four leagues, not, you know, with the USL for the Reno uh, or the Vegas Lights soccer team, whatever it is, or, you know, these. Uh, yeah, like as I mentioned, like, yeah, like if if the Raiders, the NBA or the MLB. Like like the Raiders had the Ra- Raiders' existence in Vegas and playing in Vegas preceded the Las Vegas Golden Knights' existence and playing. I think it probably would have been seen as a less risky move. But then you also have to take into consideration that everyone and their moms wanted to go to Vegas for the longest time. 
for the longest time they wanted to go to Vegas, and they did. The NHL did, and look at how it paid off. And Vegas Raiders did. Then again, I think moving Oakland, the Oakland Raiders out of Oakland, one of the most, it's a pretty historic spot for football. I think still professional sports in Vegas are huge. Like you had, you had T-Mobile arena, you had, you know, boxing, you can pack out a boxing match in Vegas. Why can't you pack out a football stadium? Why can't you pack out a basketball, baseball, Mm -hmm. hockey, soccer, whatever it happens to be. And we see it, we see it works. It, it, it's, you know, it's why Houston, I think is going to be the next great hockey market, whether it's a relocation, whether it's an expansion, which I don't think the league is going to expand anytime soon. 32 teams is a lot. People forget 32 teams for a professional sports league is a lot. Not even the EPL over in England where they're playing soccer. They don't even have 30 teams to their uh, top. And it's it's nicely broken up too in the fact that you have eight, you'll have after Seattle officially joins the league, you have eight teams per division. It wouldn't, it wouldn't make much sense to keep expanding on that too. Right. Yes. Yeah. Unless they were to add it, like this isn't like the what I'll call the middle times of hockey. What I'll call the middle times of the NHL's existence, where teams, you know, if there were multiple leagues and there were options for players to go to because there were competitive player contract rates and all of that, where we saw the WHA, the IHL, you saw this, you know surgeons of leagues in Canada and the NHL and all these players wanting to play professional hockey but having different options because you know at that point player a players union was unheard of and players getting good rates were unheard of because they were owned property their contracts were owned property yeah i don't know where i was going with that but it, it, <laughs> it's it's inter- it's interesting to see oh expansion you can't expand in the way that franchises in the 60s and 70s we're able to expand and move because we just don't have that kind of ability with the way that, you know, markets work today and the way that sports contracts work today. You can't just move, oh, I'm not making money in California. Let's go out to Cleveland. You can't do that. Like you have example, like, Calgary Flames, who I believe were the Atlanta part- Flames went defunct. The Calgary Flames were in the WHA, I believe. There was a team and, before the Atlanta Flames, too. I think they relocated twice until they found their home in Calgary or something like that. But. There was an original Atlanta Flames. Then there was the Atlanta Flames that moved to Calgary, I believe. Don't quote me on that. I'm not a historian, but you're probably right. But my point is the state of hockey operations today is much better off and is much more st- stable and successful than it was years ago in the you know, older days of the sport and older days of of uh, professional sports in America. And I think like that's it, what saved Pittsburgh at the end of the day, too. Yep. If we want to go circle back to Pittsburgh, where we kind of started, where in the sense that it, had this been literally last century, probably would have moved on if they were dealing with, they were struggling like how they were until, obviously, like Chicago is a different story because as we've met, highlighted multiple times, it's a big enough city where, it's like LA. You're not going to move a team out of that city unless they're doing really bad. But like a city, a city like Pittsburgh, or obviously Atlanta's already lost two teams, although one of them was of more recency. It's just much harder to move a team now than it was, as yes. we mentioned earlier on in the hockey in the NHL's time. 
And yes. that is going to wrap it up for the 50th episode of the Puck Talk Live podcast. Don't forget, we are going on a bit of a hiatus. We will be back. We will be back in black. We will be better than we are. Trust me, you guys are going to enjoy where we are going to be taking the show and developing the show over the next couple of weeks. Uh, don't forget, follow us on Instagram at Puck Talk Live Podcast. Hit the Linktree link in our Instagram's bio to find all of our socials, all of our show platforms, whatever it is you want to find. Interact with us. Ask us questions. You know, give us give us a reason to ha- start an argument in the comments, whatever it is. Interact with our social medias. Once again, we thank you for everything you guys have done the past 50 episodes. It has been a long ride, and it's only going to get longer and longer. This is Logan Rosenger with the Puck Talk Live podcast, and we will see you guys on the next episode.